We have a mosaic of scripture to you for you today. <clears throat> Hear the word of God from multiple passages. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons of his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with the stones. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, but anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again through your scripture this morning. Fill us, bless, shape, nourish. May these words of mine not be my words, but they may be your words. The words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus is risen. Amen. Jesus is risen and I have allergies. Can you relate with that this morning? Oh, man. Spring is good, but sometimes a little too good, right? Hey, he's risen and spring testifies to that. Pollen is in the air. New life is in the air. Sadly, so is bad news. We've had these terrible shootings in Nashville and Louisville recently. And I want to address that this morning with this patchwork, this mosaic of scripture. What are Christians to do and be living in the risen Lord in a world where such terrible things happen. What does it mean for us that Jesus is risen in a world where these mass shootings are going on and where we see so much other kinds of evil as well? Christians may disagree about gun policy and there there is biblical warrants for a diversity of views about guns among Christians. And as evangelical Bible scholar Daryl Bach points out, <clears throat> the issue of guns postdates the Bible. There were no guns when the Bible was written or when Jesus was alive. And as Dr. Bach points out, when we look into how scripture handles issues 
like violence and self-defense, we can find biblical passages that support pacifism, non-retaliation, as well as biblical passages that support just war theory and the use of restrained force to protect. So there isn't just one straight line from the Bible to gun policy. But while the Bible doesn't give us a clear statement on gun policy, the Bible does speak with great clarity about reality. So we don't get a policy, but we get a picture of reality that we're called to live into. Three points I want to make about that today. There's probably a lot more one could make, but three points about the reality that the Bible calls us to live into that pertain to this terrible topic of these shootings. Number one, expect the reality of evil around us. Number two, be careful of the evil in us. And number three, move in Christ's victory by confronting evil with good around us. If we live grasped by these callings in scripture, we're then equipped to discuss and debate about policies in response to gun violence in the places where we do that. But my focus today are these three major themes in scripture. The first one, be alert to the reality of evil. Jesus came because we needed to be saved. And in these terrible events, we see what we need to be saved from. First Peter 5a, be alert and of sober mind. Boy, it's been sobering, hasn't it, lately? Oh. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. As Bible scholar N.T. Wright points out, the late Christian psychiatrist M. Scott Peck argued against all his traditional liberal education and previous understanding that there is such a thing as a force or forces of evil. Forces which are suprapersonal, suprahuman, meaning more than human, more than personal, which appear to take over humans as individuals, or in some cases, take over entire societies. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. People ask how these shooters can do the evil they do, and that is a good question. One of my pastor colleagues said to me years ago when one of these shootings happened, he said, these shooters don't behave like this just because their mommy didn't hug them enough. I agree. Listen again to how the demon-possessed man of the tombs is described. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, No one was strong enough to subdue him. It's clear the Bible makes sense, if you will. It explains some of what we're seeing among us. It interprets it for us. It's clear from the story of the men in the tombs that his demonic possession made him physically stronger. It's scary to admit it. It's terrifying to face it. But the biblical witness is clear. Evil is a power 
that actually empowers people to do evil. The devil is no pushover. The devil can take someone who is dangerous and make them even more dangerous. And there's a real possibility that is precisely what is occurring. I think there's, there's in all probability that's what's occurring in, in these shootings. Christian scholar B.J. Oropesa points out that there's, a, there's an account in the book of Acts of a female slave who was possessed by a spirit. As a result of her being possessed by this spirit, the scripture says, this female slave was able to predict the future and make money on her powers. She was delivered when the apostle Paul, who was irritated with her, <laughs> ordered the spirit to come out of her. There's another example in the book of Acts of a demon-possessed man who overpowered his seven brothers, leading them running out of their house naked and bleeding. It's in Acts chapter 19, verse 16. It's, it's actually in the Bible. The point is, demon possession can endow people with powers and capabilities. The Las Vegas shooter was reported by his girlfriend. Remember that terrible shooting in Las Vegas? His girlfriend told... Authorities, according to a reputable news outlet, that sometime, sometimes this man who did this, Stephen Paddock, would lie in bed just moaning and screaming. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. That's the demon-possessed man. The man at the tombs cried out. These shooters cry out too. I suspect if we looked at the lives of at least some of these shooters, we would find similar signs of spiritual affliction. Adam Lanza with the, in Connecticut, with his windows, right, papered over with, with, with aluminum foil, right, or something like that. I mean, it, now this is not incompatible with mental illness. As a pastor, I believe that any mental illness or any personal struggle can be an Achilles heel in our lives that the devil will attack and exploit with destructive intent. The devil will exploit our weaknesses and drag us down. So all of us are vulnerable in our humanity, in our sin, in our struggles. And I think those with mental illnesses and addictions or other illnesses are also vulnerable in those places to the enemy to come. He comes and he, he attacks the vulnerable at their places of vulnerability. Anyone who does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, and Protector is at risk for demonic possession. And we are all at risk for demonic oppression. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, the story doesn't end here. Good news. We said it at the beginning of the service. We'll say it again and again. He is risen. But he's risen in victory to save us from this. Jesus would have not come to save us if we didn't need to be saved. It sounds almost silly to say it, but it's important to remember that. Jesus has overthrown evil. As Paul says in Colossians, the verse we read, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. But on this side of Christ's return back, not all of reality has caught up to this fact yet. We live in this in-between zone. He's done it. He will consummate it. And we're in this in-between time. So we live in between his coming and his coming again as people rescued from what 
scripture calls the second death in Revelation 20. Rescued but still vulnerable to the bullets we can't dodge. So scripture warns us, be alert to the reality of evil. And along with that, the second point I would make is be careful of the evil in you. The line between good and evil runs through each of us. St. Paul reminds us, we read it. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We're vulnerable to what evil can do to us. We're also vulnerable to what evil can do in us. Our recurring sin patterns, our wounds, our weaknesses can all be openings for evil. Satan will seek to exploit that like flies to a wound. Are we self-aware? Perhaps we need to allow Jesus to make us self-aware. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the courts. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Taking a life is evil, but our Lord points to another more subtle, more insidious kind of evil. Strafing a crowd with a firearm is unthinkably evil, but strafing a person with nasty words is also evil and destructive. In Jesus' mind, just as destructive, in a way. It's clear from our text from the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus takes anger and angry words as seriously as we take bullets. The Apostle Paul writes a warning as well. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In the spiral into darkness that mass shooters experience, no doubt anger plays a role. I bet if we could trace each of these once I think they now say that the shooter in Vegas was mad he lost a lot of money in, uh, in Vegas. The devil sets up a home in unrestrained, unrehabilitated anger, unhealed anger. And he stokes a fury there. The same thing, that can, same thing can happen to us. And it need not be physical violence according to Jesus. Giving the devil a foothold in our anger can lead us to destructive words that in fact become like bullets as well. And I am among many pastors who are concerned that as a culture, we're getting a little too cavalier about our anger, a little too snugly with our anger. You know, they've done studies about anger and the results have been stunning. As one therapist describes it, Research indicates that when our heart rates increase just three beats per second in 15 seconds, all sorts of stuff goes off course in us. So if you're agitated in a relationship and your heart increases that much, just that much, here's what happens, research indicates. We have contempt for the person we're in conflict with. We box them in and we relate to the box instead of the person. 
we think four to six, we think of four to six negative adjectives for that person that we're in conflict with. We remember three detailed memories of past bad experiences and we call up negative energy from another six negative memories without specifics. We stonewall, we can't take input, we will assign meaning to what the other one is saying, even if we're wrong, we'll continue to believe it's right. We will assign motive to the other person that is negative. That's the drug of human anger. Just an increase of three heartbeats per second in 15 seconds. Three heartbeats per second in 15 seconds. The equivalent of, that's the equivalent, they say, of two shots of Jack Daniels in our bodies in terms of impact. It's illegal to drive with two shots of Jack Daniels. As a pastor, I'm deeply concerned. I've joined many pastors and leaders. I'm deeply concerned that our culture is so divided because of, of anger. Remember what Makotio Police Chief Kang told Larry Bell and I when we met with him last year. I asked him what we needed to pray for in our culture. And our police chief said, we need to pray for more grace. People are so torqued. I'm not, he's not talking about mass shootings. That's a real thing. And we need to be concerned about that. And this theological reflection is foundation for engaging about that in other places. So yeah, we need to deal with that. But the chief is saying, we got a more primal problem. That is just how we relate. He's talking about road rage. He's talking about people at counters in stores, right? With cashiers. I've heard this more than once from police. There is so much anger out there. The viciousness in our civic life, in our political differences, gives the devil a foothold and leads to satanic results in divisions. It feeds polarization and distortion. It's gotten so bad that research indicates that people on the right, conservatives, Republicans, assume things about people on the left, liberals, Democrats, that the majority of people on the left don't even believe and that people on the left assume things about people on the right, conservatives, Republicans, that the majority of people on the right don't even believe. I'm concerned that there's news media that, is, that has a business model that makes money off of keeping these divisions alive. Now, there are things to be bothered by for sure and debate about, absolutely. But we are warned that even as there's debates worth having, we ought not be firing bullets verbally at each other. Our speaking in anger, even our thinking in anger, will do plenty of destroying. We don't need bullets to do that. What happens is that people replace following the Lord Jesus with simply being mad all the time and then feeling righteous about it. Are we spending most of the time in our lives in relationship with Jesus Christ and letting him work with even the things that bother us? Not that there aren't things that we shouldn't be concerned about. We should, absolutely. But are, are we in relationship with that more than we're, we're in relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, we're to acknowledge the evil that's out there. We're to acknowledge the evil that's in us and the struggle that runs through all of us. And then thirdly, we're to move in Christ's victory by confronting evil with good. Jesus triumphed at the cross. 
Victory has broken into the present. It's, we're in the middle of its, of its beginning, of its radiance into the, into the total future that is ours in Jesus. While evil brutality robs us of beautiful lives in these shootings, it's never accurate to say evil wins. It hits us hard, but it, it, it doesn't win ever. Not, it, not because, of, because Jesus Christ wins. With all the courage and heroism we see in these events, we can find John 1 verse 5 all over the place. The light does still shine in the darkness. When the Nashville shooter <clears throat> fired 152 rounds into the school, arriving police officers rushed in to protect and serve. I need three, Officer Engelbert said at the door. And in they went. And four minutes, in less than four minutes, the, the shooter was neutralized. The light shines in the darkness, even in the darkest darkness. Now that was a violent confrontation and sadly, sadly, sometimes that is what is required to stop evil in its tracks. We're also called, I think it's correct to say that most of the time, most of us are called to confront evil by reflecting the light of our risen Lord as we confront evil by doing good. St. Paul writes, to the early church in Rome about confronting evil by doing good. Bless those who persecute you, he says. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Where is the Lord calling you and me to step in to confront evil with good? Officer Engelbert needed three to go in. Who and what do you and I need to go in and confront evil with good, to de-escalate the situation? To share the grace that abounds. That's what our police chief is calling us to here. Literally. It's scary how many people have faced mass shootings. Some have even now faced a couple. It's, it's scary. That's something we need to wrestle with. At every level in our society. And, and Christians may even disagree on exactly what to do about that. And that's okay. That's what enriches us as a society. We can have those debates. But there's a foundation that we all share. And the confronting of evil with good is at the base of that foundation in Jesus Christ. It's likely most of us will never encounter a mass shooting in our day. But it's more likely that we'll encounter anger, gossip, hate, nastiness, gracelessness, stereotypes that are vicious. As James chapter 1 points out, the tongue is set on fire by Hell. We fear hell, but sometimes hell will show up just in conversation <laughs> with our tongues. That's what the Bible says. God creates with words. God creates with his words. And we destroy what he creates with ours. We don't need bullets. 
God may call us to take a bullet. That is possible. Like that amazing principal in the Nashville school. But more likely, God will call us to to take on vicious words. To stand between the vicious words that get launched and those they're launched towards. To stand between the attitudes that emanate and those that they're launched at. Where is God calling you and I to go in? How can you and I as Christ followers moving in the spirit be the anti-venom for the serpent's relentless biting and the necrotic impact that that has on our civil life? If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. That is what resurrection means now. He has risen. And to quote Officer Engelbert, let's go. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.